This is the Mitch Gray Show, where we are bringing the art of humanity back to leadership. Subscribe to the Mitch Gray Show wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, subscribe to our YouTube channel, Mitch Gray Media, where you'll find each of our episodes and other resources that will equip, inspire, and empower you to lead well. And now, the Mitch Gray Show. What is up, brothers and sisters? Welcome to the Mitch Gray Show. Thank you again for joining us for another amazing conversation. Have a uh, another another human who is becoming a dear friend quickly on today and uh, has so much wisdom and knowledge to share. And I'm going to tell you, for any of you who are uh, in the middle of maybe what people are calling the great resignation, or you're in the middle of the great transition, uh, I was talking to someone else the other day, and we identified it as the great awakening that people are awakening to something different in life. So if you're in the middle of that, this is the episode for you. I have on the show, uh, Mr. Ken Steven, and, and I'll introduce Ken even more here in a second. And uh, Ken has some amazing wisdom. He has a new book that's out that we're going to we're going to share with you. And so be ready. This is the episode for you. I am your host, Mitch Gray, author of How to Hire and Keep Great People, small business leadership consultant and inspirational speaker. And uh, Ken, as I said, is, is on our show today. Ken is the author of the book, Dream Job Discovery. Ooh, and today's going to be fun because we're going to dig into that. Also the creator of the Dream Job Type Indicator, uh, which is an online career assessment. And Ken envisions a world where everyone eagerly embraces their work. And that is his passion. I'm not going to read the entire bio because I can just leave it at that. That is that is Ken's passion to empower you to find the work that really fits you and that you're passionate about. So Ken, enough of me talking. Welcome to the show, brother. We've been working on this for a while and I'm glad you're here. Listen, thank you. Thank you for inviting me. I'm, I'm, I'm grateful to be here. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's really crazy. You and I have been a part of a, how do I want to say this? I'll, I'll call it a social media support cohort. That might be the best way to describe it. And we kind of ran in circles for a little bit and then connected and learned more about each other. And I thought, man, it just makes sense to have him on the show to share with the world uh, your book, Dream Job Discovery, and what you're doing. So, so thank you again. And I, and I want to start here, Ken. I always like to start with a big question. I did receive your book in the mail. Thank you so much for sending that. Uh, I, I perused it as best as my speed reading abilities would let me in about a two-hour time period. I got most of it in. But in the beginning of your book, um, you you have a few statements that kind of open the book. And one of them really stuck out to me. And that statement is, I envision a world where everyone eagerly embraces their work feeling passionate and purpose driven by what they do. What does that really big question here? That is such a powerful statement, but what does that really look like on an everyday level? That feeling passionate and purpose driven for the average listener listening right now, what does that put some skin on that for us? trying to think of the whether there's two ways to answer that question one is to talk about the transition from what people are normally experiencing to what passion and purpose driven would be uh, most people that I work with anyway and, and certainly from my own personal experience what I went through um, you know we go to work and we start to get stressed out and we feel anxiety about the job we're doing something doesn't feel right we're not really happy we go home sad we bring that unhappiness home with us it creates conflict at home we're not fun to be around anymore um, all of that just starts to become a regular part of our daily life and and when you become passionate purpose driven um, you know you you don't you don't have anxiety any longer on a Sunday night you know, thinking about the work week that you're going to have to face the next morning. You know, you don't pull the covers over your head in a state of dread when the alarm clock goes off on Monday morning, thinking about, oh my God, now I have to go to work, right? Instead, when you're passionate and purpose-driven, you wake up with a sense of purpose. You go to sleep with a feeling of accomplishment that you've done something meaningful 
that day, something that made a difference in, in maybe someone else's life because of the work that you do, right? I always say that when you, when you find your passion, you find your joy, and when you share your passion, you find your purpose. So that, that's what it feels like. It feels like, you know, especially millennials now, millennials, having a job that gives them meaning, and, and, and there's an impatience with millennials to have a job that's meaningful. Right. I mean, it's, it's so funny. Sometimes they're saying, well, you know, I've been there six months. I got to leave. I haven't been a difference yet. You know, but no, it takes yeah, time. Right. right? But, but but the point is, like, you know, people do want to know, like we're, we're, we're all here for a reason. Right. We're, we're you know, when we want to make sure that, you know, the time we're spending at work isn't wasted, that it's actually it's actually leading to some good. Right. Yeah. And and and, you know, and it, it makes us it gives us a feeling of fulfillment, a feeling of joy, a feeling of meaning. Right. So that's what that's what passion and purpose driven is. Yeah. And we won't dig into it too much today because we have some other really good stuff to get to so people can see your work in motion. But you do tell the story of your experience in your book about I, I think you even use those phrases. You the alarm went off and you pulled the covers back over your head. And and really, my guess is people would have looked at your situation in life at that point in time and said, man, he has a successful career. He He's kind of reached, you know, the, the plateau that people are getting to. Yet you were waking up every morning, going to bed on Sunday night, looking forward to Friday and missing all of the days in between because it was just filled with so much stress, anxiety maybe even boredom at some points because that connection wasn't taking place. And so you've lived it. That's what really inspired you, right? That's, that's exactly what inspired me to write the book. Yeah. And, and, and it's, it's why I'm doing the work that I'm doing now because it trying to figure out what kind of job I could feel passionate about doing using conventional passion discovery methods. Um, it took me forever to figure it out the conventional way. I figured there had to be a faster way. And that's that's what started me down this road of, of passion discovery. I love it. There's there's something else you say in, in your book, Dream Job Discovery, and that is you start chapter one with this. According to a study of workers in 155 countries published by Gallup in 2017, so, so according to data and research, that's fairly new for people that don't know, job data dissatisfaction is rampant. Only 15% of full-time employees worldwide are engaged. So they're the people that wake up and enjoy going to work. They have a passion, only 15%. So my question to you, I know you did a lot of research and, and your book is filled with great data, great stories, um, great kind of proof points, what I like to call. But my question then becomes, if that few of people are really engaged with their work. That means, let's do the math, 85% of people, as we read, are, are not engaged. What actually is happening in the workplace then when we talk about uh, retaining, when we talk about results, when we talk about productivity? We know that if someone isn't engaged, their productivity goes down. So what's happening actually in the workplace and with our economy with that number being so upside down? You know, that, that's why Gallup does this study on, on such a regular basis. Um, that 85% number that you, that you just mentioned, that's the worldwide average. It's actually as high as 95% wow. in, I believe it's Japan. And, and the best place, the best result, if you can call it a good result, is, is 7 out of 10 people in North America do not engage with the work. So, so the situation in North America, Canada, United States is a lot better than it is in the rest of the world, but still seven out of 10 people on average sitting in any given workplace are not enjoying the job role that they do, right? And you're right, it's a, that's why Gallup does this study because their, their whole point is the implication on productivity around the world by these people not having any desire to be doing what they're doing. They're basically punching a clock. They're showing up, they're doing their job role. They can't wait till the clock, you know, says it's five o'clock, they can go home now, right? So that that's that's why it's so important. If you can find a job where you feel passionate about doing and it's just like a flow and it's so easy and work doesn't seem like work, it's more like play, then your productivity is going to soar. And I know your perspective is really from the the individualist, from the per, the employee per se, but but kind of kind of dabble in just a little bit. What does this do if if a leader can begin looking for and hiring 
people that are now passionate and aligned with, you know, your dream job discovery idea, what does that then do for, from a leadership perspective? How does that begin changing the culture, the idealism and the productivity? You know, you're right. The, the main focus of the book is indeed on, on the individual, but, but from a human resources perspective and from a CEO's perspective, yes, if you could structure your teams so that people were doing work they felt more passionate about doing, Okay, and and I there 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 is a whole way I talk about it in the book about how you could potentially move people's job descriptions around so that bits and pieces of what one person doesn't like but someone else does like maybe put them together they could become team pods and they could actually do projects together that way there are all kinds of of ways if you start to think outside the box that things things could be done in organizations so that people are more aligned with their passions, right? And, and, and the values that are the moral and ethical compass of their life that are just, you know, the, the things where if, if they're in alignment with their values, they're in flow and, 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 and passion is related to your values, right? So, uh, yeah, Gallup, I believe, I'm going by memory here, I think it's 18% is what they find on, on, an, on a global basis what passionately engaged workers they, they are 18 percent more productive but from the people that i've worked with i found people to be twice as productive right. as a result of, of finding themselves a job where they feel passionate and a lot of it is because if you're not feeling passionate you're really only performing at probably half the productivity that you really could yes. be right so the norm you're, you're half the norm so that once you find something that you're passionate about doing, now you're, you've made that jump above the norm, right? So you're right. really twice as productive as you were before because you were really only, you see what I mean? It's even that math doesn't work, does it? There's going to be somebody in the audience saying, no, the math doesn't work there because if that's half and that's twice, then it's really three times. So what, but you get the idea, it's more. Yeah, yeah it is more. <laughs> so for someone listening that is a leader and, and, and uh, you know, is, is hiring and, and running teams and leading an organization, um, I would offer that this book is as critical for them as it is anyone else. Even if they're in a position that they love their position, they love their job, they love their culture, et cetera, there is some magic and power into a leader viewing things from their employee's perspective rather than their own isolated perspective. And that is what I like about the idea of a leader reading your book is all of a sudden they can begin going, oh, wait a second. Maybe I don't have people in the right seat in the bus. Maybe I don't have things aligned the way I should. And that's a really powerful thing. And so I want to encourage anyone that's listening that, that you may be thinking, I love my job. I love what I would even suggest reading it to be a better coworker. I just think that the ideas that you present can really prepare people to not only find it for themselves, but maybe find help find it for others as well. No, a really great point. And, and, uh, I think you're right that from a leadership perspective, just it's just a different way of thinking of things. And it would it would certainly help in the hiring process for people to understand how important values are yes. and alignment of the of the values of the people you hire with with the values that are finding your corporate culture. Because once you can start to build an environment where you have people that have the same why. Yes. Right? Like they're all, they're all, they all believe in the same thing. They all have the same values. Um, they're on the, they're on the bus. They all want to go to the same place, right? They're all on the same, on the bus for the right reasons, right? And and uh, you know, I, I'm sure we'll talk about it in a minute. But but you know, I have an assessment that helps you figure out what those values are. And it, it and and we do use it as a as a human resources tools for leaders to help them build stronger organizations and have a better culture fit. I love it. I love it. So the book is Dream Job Discovery, and it's uh, available almost everywhere. People can go online and order it. Of course, we know as authors, if you order it from the Amazon beast, it helps out a little more, get it into the flywheel of the interweb. So um, <laughs> whether we like that or not, that's the way the cookie crumbles. <laughs> so, so if you order on Amazon, go order uh, Ken's book, Dream Job Discovery. Now, I want to dive into this because as you just mentioned, you do have the Dream Job Discovery um, uh, uh, kind of, kind of, it's a kind of an assessment. It's really, uh, yeah. in function, not so dissimilar to what people have taken maybe with a Myers-Briggs or, you know, the Clifton Strengths Space or other assessments, but you do have some differences there. And 
some of them are subtle, but very important. And there's some verbiage that's different with what you offer than others. Um, I did take the assessment yesterday. And so we're just going to kind of fly into this. Now, you told me before the show, for anyone listening who who hears this episode and hears Ken share his expertise, for anyone listening that goes, wow, I want to reach out to him. Uh, Ken did tell me, just to clarify, that normally if he's coaching with you, this would be like session three or four maybe before you take the assessment. So for me, it's not session three or four, and we're doing this uh, quote live recording. So we're going to have some fun with it. I just really want to show the value that Ken brings and the questions that he asks so that you can get a real feel as a listener of, of what Ken could potentially bring to you. So uh, Ken, I took the assessment. I have my results in front of me. I'm going to kind of let you take it from here and go where you want to go with it. Uh, you do not have your res my results in front of you. So you're walking a little bit blindly. So you're truly, I just want the listeners to know this is as organic. And if, if they'll remember, if you listen to my episode, uh, I think it was la late last winter with Micah Lawrence. It was the first interview I did with him. Micah is a certified Clifton strengths-based uh, coach. And so we did the same thing with Micah. That was a lot of fun. We ended up doing two episodes because it was so, so much goodness. So we might have to do that here. Uh, but we're going to go and I'm going to do do with you what I did with Micah. I'll let you take it, you know, from here and, and let's uh, I'm at your bidding, my friend. So let's go with it. OK, so you took the assessment. Um, first of all, how, what was your experience taking the assessment? How long did it take you? Was it easy to go through um, your general thoughts about the assessment, taking the assessment? Uh, yeah, very well set up. Like I said, not so dissimilar from other uh, assessments as far as a structure. Um, you had five options per question. To be honest, I can't remember how many questions there were, but you had you had uh, you know kind of five options from never to rarely to sometimes to often to always, and so those were kind of the five uh, options. Um, I think it took me about twenty minutes. And I think in the beginning, it says it'll take 25 to 30. I will say there was an element to yours that most others don't have right off the, the front. And that is the welcome video. Hmm. And I found that a really well done. And I also found it very, you know, almost like it wasn't just a cold assessment, like you were there kind of walking alongside me. And so I did want to say, I, I found that very attractive that obviously most other that I know of assessments do not have. So from a structural standpoint, very easy questions were simple. Um, didn't have to think too much about most of them, which some assessments you do, you kind of second guess yourself. I didn't find myself doing that at all. Okay. No, that's good news. So, uh, maybe just for the benefit of people watching and listening, um, the other assessments that Mitch has mentioned, like a Myers-Briggs or a DISC or a Clifton Strengths, uh, Myers-Briggs is measuring your personality traits. DISC is measuring your behavior styles. Um, Clifton Strengths is measuring your natural talents. The, the DJTI assessment that I've developed is different from the others in that it is the only assessment that measures what you'd be naturally inclined to feel passionate about doing. Okay. It measures your values and it uses your values to predict what you'd feel passionate about doing because certain values used in certain combinations can be used. They, they align very nicely with different workflow passion types. Okay. So first of all, uh, you're right. There were a number of value statements that you went through. Um, you're not really aware of what value that is at the time right. you're reading it, right? You'll get that in the report later on. And then it tells you in the report what your values are in four different categories, right? So you had core values, you had supporting values, had sanctioning values, and you had character values. So your core values, they're the non-negotiables. That's, they're the ones that basically maybe only once a year you wouldn't follow. And they are subconsciously, they are defying the true you. That's your, that's your subconscious identity. You don't think about it, but those are, 
and you learn those values as a kid, maybe, you know, through your parents or, you know, maybe, you know, through, through, you know, your religion or whatever. I mean, there were the values that your teachers, right, in school, you learn values, right? And that becomes part of your subconscious programming. So you don't really think about these things and, and they're guiding the way you make your decisions and how you act in life. So your core values are the, the ones that are most important in determining what your passion is, okay? And then the supporting values, that, yeah, you might use those 80 to 95% of the time. I mean, like without exception. So they're still important. So we use those as well to help define your job passion workflow. Your sanctioning values, they're more like your overarching umbrella, okay? They, every other value has to kind of fit under them because your sanctioning values can overrule them. For example, family is a, is a sanctioning, uh, sanctioning value, right? If you have a family value or, or uh, a sanctioning value, then if you have a job that requires you to be out of town two or three nights a week and you're away from your family, but family is a sanctioning value, you can understand how that would start to create right. stress and anxiety. There would be a conflict there, right? right? So that's important to know what they are because if you're about to pick a job and you're saying everything lines up perfectly, but then you're going, oops, there's this family thing and this job requires me to travel then you shouldn't take that job. You should look for a similar opportunity somewhere else where travel is not required. So that's where your sanctioning values pop in. And your character values, they define basically how you intend to show up on a job. Things like, you know, whether or not you're punctual or you're proactive, right. or things like that, right? right? So again, you pick a job where your natural tendencies there, you know, would, would be in alignment with the job type that you're gonna have. So that is what you were measuring in the first part of your report. So tell me, first of all, were, were, did, did those values seem to jive for you? Were you, were you saying, yeah, I, 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 yeah, now that I know what it is I was rating, these least of values make sense to me? Uh, yes, yep, I would say across the board. I would say across the board. Yeah, on, on all four categories, for sure. Perfect. Okay. Yeah. So now that means if you're, if you're kind of happy with what those are, then, you know, the next step in the process is really how we use those values to determine your dream job type. So again, just for everybody listening, uh, there are 21 different dream job types. A dream job type really is defining a, a workflow process. Okay. So a workflow process can be something like analyzing or calculating or evaluating or judging or organizing or coordinating or persuading or storytelling, artistic creation. They're all different job passion workflow types. Okay. So what I've discovered through all the research over like the 16 years that it took us to put all this together, um, when you're looking for your passion, it's not just one thing. Your passion tends to fit under a theme and that theme is a job passion workflow process. So it's not, it's the thing that you're passionate about doing. It's because of the way you do it, the stuff you have to do when you're, when you're doing that activity. That's right. really the more useful thing to figure out what your passion is. It's, it's, it's the process, not a specific thing, you know, not, not one thing out of thousands of possibilities. Right. right. <laughs> so, okay. So what your report does is it tells you what your top three dream job types would be. All right. So what were your top three dream job types? So mine were, and I kind of want to go back a little bit. Um, okay, no, that's fine. Because I want people to know that in the book, um, you talk about uh, personality types, you talk about the dream job types, and you really, more so than we're going to be able to get through today, obviously, you really dig pretty deep on, on those elements in the book. And so I really want people to know that idealistically and again i had time to run through the book and take the assessment idealistically they work hand in hand and and i really want to clarify that for the listeners that you know order ken's book and i think it's when you get to chapter three uh that you kind of get pushed into the opportunity for the assessment and so I want people to know that the book is really a supporting factor to understanding and truly identifying all of this. Um, did I did I say all that correctly? No, no, thank you for mentioning that. So yeah. think of it: if anyone has ever taken Clifton Strengths, you know there's a book that goes along with Clifton Strengths. This is the same idea here. This this book is a companion piece to taking yes. the 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 uh, the Dream Job Type Indicator Assessment, so that. It helps you better understand your results. And I'm, and I'm also glad you mentioned the fact that the dream job type indicator was not developed to be, you know, the be all end all. It's, it's, it's the missing piece. Yeah. Okay. 
I still want you, as you were alluding to, I still want you to take a Clifton Strengths. I want you to take a personality test. I want you to take a disc because, and, and, and I give you links in the book as well All to go that. do yes. that. Yes. Um, and because in the book I show you how each of them serves an important role in determining what that dream job would be. And, and the dream job here, we're just, we're just using that as a nice term for a job that you would feel passionate and purpose driven yeah. about doing. Okay, so. Yeah. yeah, and I love that because, you know, really, um, I'm anxious to dig deeper into the book because it really serves as a guide. And after you've taken the assessment and, and have kind of discovered the reflection of yourself, the book, in my opinion, the book is going to make a lot more sense and be a lot more helpful because you kind of have that directive point. And so, um, so I want to go back a little bit and I, and I do want to share with people a, four, a few of my core values before we move on to my okay. three, uh, right. my three dream. I like dream there yeah. <laughs> so I'll give you my, top, I'll give you my top five, uh, in order. The first one was judiciousness. And the definition of that by, according to the assessment is you constantly strive to exercise reasonable and fair judgment. Uh, the second one that I had was originality. You feel compelled to do things in a novel or unique manner. Uh, the third core value that I was given was clarity. You consistently strive to ensure that what you say and write is properly understood. The fourth is decisiveness. Being able to make decisions with little or no hesitation is a priority for you. And then the fifth of my top five uh, is encouragement. You regularly seek opportunities to instill confidence and belief in others about their abilities. And so, uh, yeah, those are all on point. I mean, they're, 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 that's exactly right. I wouldn't, and even going on down, you know, caring, uh, artistry, honesty, motivation, et cetera. But those top five to me, and the interesting thing is, Ken, in different verbiage, and of course, these are pointing toward values, but in different verbiage on every assessment I've ever taken, they're all consistent. And, you know, really what I want people to hear is even if you're leading a business, leading a team, this is incredibly good for you to go through, but it's also incredibly powerful if you can have your team go through this. Because then what you're doing is you're really learning and understanding where each person on your team is coming from, just from a human level standpoint. From a business standpoint, you're all of a sudden realizing what you alluded to earlier. You know, you, you, you may have Mitch doing a job that doesn't align with the values at all, but you may have a job inside your organization that would. And it's like the old adage that I say, because it's a little bit of an extreme adage, but it gets the picture across. And that is your accountant may actually be your best marketing person. You just sure. don't know because you haven't tried or studied it. And so, um, so I find that incredibly value, especially for someone leading a team. What, what, what are your thoughts? What's your perspective on that idea? No, I, I, I it's almost like you read my mind. Cause that's, that's one of the, <laughs> that's, we like that's to do that. Of, we like, that was my other value reading people's minds. Yeah, that, no, <laughs> No, because that, that's seriously, that's, that's one of the reasons that, you know, that's one of the ways that we, we use the assessment. It's one of the ways we use the book. It, it is a definitely a, an important tool for organizations um, to, to be able to, to, to realign people. Uh, it's, we, we do have situations where, where people have been able to go back to their employer. And, and, and it's funny you say that because one of them was an accountant and he said, look, you know, I, you know, I, and I, and it's so funny. This is a true story. So I, I, I say to, I say to the guy, so why did you become an accountant? He said, well, uh, when I went to university, um, they had kind of like, uh, they had kind of all the employer career guys were there. And I was thinking I wanted to go into engineering and there was a huge lineup at engineering, but there was nobody lined up at the accounting thing. So I went up and I talked to the guy at the accounting thing and he said, oh yeah, you can make lots of money as an accountant. So I became an accountant. And he says, yeah, I make lots of money as an accountant, but I hate being an accountant. <laughs> right? right? So, so, but, but as, so it's, as you're right. I mean, he was able to go and, and find himself another job within the company that employed him to do accounting. Yeah. Okay. And, and in fact, as I recall, it was a sales job. Wow. Wow. So, so yes, it, it, this is, it can be used for this. And what's important is, is, as I alluded to earlier, sometimes, you know, maybe it's moving one person to the one role and, and another person into their role. Sometimes that works. Sometimes it's like saying, well, you know what? 
All this administrative stuff that I do, which is kind of organizing and coordinating as a, as a job passion type, I hate doing all that stuff. And this person over here is going to say, I love doing all that stuff, right? right? But I have all this stuff over here, which is, you know, evaluating and judging. And I, you know, I'm supposed to rate all this stuff for quality and all this kind of, and I, I just, I hate doing this. It's, you know, but I'd love doing that, right? So they can swap things. Despite what the job description reads right now, there is an opportunity for human resources to change job descriptions. I mean, to make it work better within their own organization so that people do more of the parts that they love doing. Right. And I and I say in the book, our goal is always to get people to a point where they're doing. We give you your top three job passion types. If you can do it all with one, your top one, that's great. But sometimes we've had people that are right. later, their top one or two or even three. We had one last week where someone could layer all three of their job passion types to do 80 percent of the work in their job in, in, in what would be a job passion type. Wow. Right. So that that's the goal. And you, you got to know that that's you'd, you'd wait. You'd want to wake up in the morning, going to a job where you knew 80 percent of the day was going to be doing stuff you love. I mean, it's easy to tolerate the other 20 percent. Right. Right. It's so much easier where it's when it's reversed or even upside down at all. It becomes it becomes a headache and not Absolutely. enjoyable. Yeah. You know, the other interesting before we get to my uh, my job types, the other interesting piece of data that I that I. I often point it out to leaders and I wish they would be more cognizant of it. And that is it's almost 80% of college graduates go into a different field of work at some point than what they studied. And, and it's because that story you told is exactly right. You know, we push kids to go to university, to go to college. And at 18 years old, they're making a decision that they think they have to be held accountable for when they're 35, 40 years old. And it just doesn't work. And so if a leader can be proactive, I love the creative approach that you just mentioned. If you can be more creative and more proactive on, you know, hey, Ken has a master's degree in marketing, but he absolutely hates marketing. He just tried to get through school and then realizing there may be another opportunity here. And we could go into a whole nother conversation about the value we give education and almost give it too much value from that standpoint, you know? And so, okay, let's go back to my a dream job type. So I shared with you my top five core values. Um, I actually want to share with you my top five uh, uh, sanctioning, I think sanctioning of the, of the values that are, yes. So my top five sanctioning values are balance, keeping a good balance between your work life and personal life, cleanliness, you prefer to keep yourself and sur your surroundings clean while you work, activity, you prefer to keep your body moving during the day. Variety, you prefer doing work that consistently provides new challenges and experiences and diversity. Uh, you constantly strive to be accepting of everyone's personal uh, uniqueness and differences. And what I want people to see, again, this, this is a little bit of a common mm. denominator of really good assessments. And that is you can begin drawing the correlating lines between values, sanctioning values, core values. And you, that's what you mentioned earlier. The sanctioning values are kind of the overarching umbrella, but your core values are kind of the spokes that are, that are birthed from those sanctioning values. And when you can really draw those connective points, um, it, it makes a difference in our perspective. You're, I mean, it's a very good point that you make that the core values really are uh, like spokes uh, that are that are that are are, are kind of birth from your sanctioning values. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Okay, so my three uh, dream job types were number one, coaching or mentoring. Number two, evaluating or judging. And then number three, artistic creation. So I know my core values. I've shared my top five. I know my sanctioning values. I've shared my top five. I know my three job types, coaching, mentoring, evaluating, judging, or artistic creation. So Ken, what in the world do I do with all of that? Okay. So we, we start first of all with you, you had uh, coaching and mentoring is number one. Right. So again, these are these are determined by the combination of of the core values and supporting values that you mentioned earlier. Okay, we use the core and supporting values 
very much like Scrabble tiles. So Scrabble tiles have got letters on them to form words. We have Scrabble tiles with different values on them and we rearrange those in different combinations to form different dream job types. So your number one in terms of your combination of core values and, and supporting values gave you coaching and mentoring. So gee, what do you do for a living right now, Mitch? Yeah, so, you're, so let me go. You're, let me, you're kind let me, of a coach and a mentor, aren't you? Let me go through this list, right? This is kind of funny. So the first first thing on the list under coaching mentoring is athletics coach. I've done that. Um, I don't call myself a career coach, but the second thing is career coaching. And it's, you know, I mean, you and I both in a way, kind of a roundabout way, career coach people. Um, I've never been a credit counselor, executive coach. Yes. High performance coach. Yes. Individual sports coach. Yes. Marriage and family therapist. Well, I was a pastor for quite a few years, so I did a lot of that. Um, so anyway, my mental health counselor done that. So you can go through and it is pretty comical, right? <laughs> so, 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 in other, so in other words, we nailed it. <laughs> we nailed it. Business coach, clergy, uh, life coach. Uh, yeah, so we nailed it. Good job. Yeah. <laughs> Good job. Okay, then. <laughs> We're done. We're done. That's the end of no, just kidding. We're not. Done. <laughs> yeah, but to your point earlier, um I I will I will share and, and people have heard heard on my show if they've listened to me at any point in time since 2013, uh, that they've heard the story of my experience as as a former pastor. And I, I want to share the story a little bit again because it goes to a point you made earlier. Since I was 10 years old, all I wanted to do was be a pastor. That was it. But when you went deeper, really what I wanted to do was inspire other people to consider deeper thought, greater living, to really dig deep. I, 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 don't, I don't swim well in the shallow waters. I want to get to the deep stuff. And I'm almost the guy that theologically, philosophically, mentally, emotionally, I'm like, no, no, no. I don't have time to go swim in the shallow waters, AKA small talk. I want to jump off the cliff into the deepest water that we can get. And so the, the problem with that is, and this is what you alluded to earlier, what I like to say about dreams, when you have a dream, you can only shape that dream emotionally and mentally from your current perspective. And so as a 10 year old kid who was you know, brought up in a very religious culture, uh, strong church ties, for me being someone of an inspirational type authority figure, leader, all that meant the only option in the world was to be a pastor. Mm. And so you begin interpreting that. And the reason I love to share that story is I was terrible at church work. <laughs> <laughs> I'm terrible at administrative things. I love encouraging people. I don't enjoy going and visiting people at the hospital because I don't really care. So there's all this administrative stuff that didn't fit. And it caused me a lot of, a lot of challenges when I was in church work. I mean, to be honest, it causes me a lot of challenges in business because I just don't do well with administrative work. And the issue for people that aren't familiar with church and religious uh, entities is the majority of the work that a pastor does is administrative, not inspirational. And so what that did for me personally is all of the things you talk about in the beginning of your book, pulling the head over your cover, you know, the covers over your head, not wanting to get up. I was working what I thought was my dream job, coming to find out that it wasn't. And what you referred to earlier was your your dream job idea is just that. It's a larger generality that you need to look for those commonalities within that kind of, I want to use the word spectrum of ideology. So coaching or mentoring. So then it becomes, okay, what job can I get? What career can I have that has the element of coaching and mentoring for the most part? Um, and I think that's a really important uh, theology to share with people is that it's it doesn't have to be, well, I'm only going to be a football coach. It doesn't have to be, I'm only going to be an accountant or a lawyer. It can be, no, here's the realm of possibility. And as one who experienced that firsthand, limited mindset, that can do almost more damage than working a crappy job, to be honest, because then it kind of kills your hopes and dreams, you know? 
Um, so kind of, kind of, I'd like you to respond to my, my little personal story there and, and, and tell me, um, why is it so important to someone to walk into this with more of an ideology rather than a specified job that that's the only job I could possibly be happy in? Yeah, I, I think you just perfectly described how this whole thing really starts to create the stress and anxiety. It's, it's the fact that, that you went into a job thinking it was going to be inspirational. You went into a job, which, which by the way, your job passion theme, your dream job type does say, if, you, if you're coaching and mentoring, in your heart, you want to help people become the best version of themselves they can possibly be, whether it's in health or fitness or business or whatever it is you decide to be a coach and mentor in, right? right. So, so you're right. I mean, in your heart, you knew that you wanted to inspire people to be the best they could be, as you say, because of your background and, and the experience, the limited experience you'd already had in your life at that young age, okay, you thought being a pastor was the way to do that. But, you, but the benefit of, and that's why when you take the assessment, we give you suggestions for the kinds of job roles that you could, you could investigate. Because you're right, maybe it is in athletics, but if you don't like athletics and you're not going, oh, I'm not really a sports right. guy, I don't do that. Okay, fine. Well, then you can, you know, you can, you know, become a counselor or something like that, or you can be a career coach, or you can be a leadership coach, or you can be a voice coach, or you can, like, there's, there's all kinds of different ways where you can coach and mentor people, right? So then what you do is then you say, well, if, if I know, as you know now, that administration is part of the, it's definitely not ranking as one of your top three job passion types, right? Then it's not a dream job type. Then you're going to say, well, okay, but if I went into this type of coaching, oh, 80% of the job is admin. No, I better not do that, right? So for example, like right now for you as coaching, you'd be probably really great if we could find you, okay, coaching and mentoring, where if you can't do 80% of your day coaching and mentoring, right? It, it, by the way, we should remind me if we have time because I'll back up is if you're going to start a business around this, there's a way to set it up so that you in fact can spend 80% of your time coaching and mentoring. Okay. Yes. Where most people who start their business where they, where they, they mess it up is you're starting a business and, and 80% of the business is anything but coaching and mentoring. You try to do it all yourself. That's a recipe for misery, right? Because that's not, that's not your passion. It's not why you started the business, right? But if we can find you where coaching and mentoring is, is the biggest thing you do, and then you can get up to your 80% of passion things by including evaluating and judging. So for example, you know, I know you're working with leadership. I know you help leadership construct teams and things like that. Well, guess what? HR is evaluating and judging, right? right? right. You are evaluating candidates for a specific job role. Who's the best candidate to help this organization you know, get the result that they're looking for from a leadership perspective, what the, what the leadership is looking for to achieve, fits for their culture and everything else. Okay, so if your job is helping leadership figure out how to build more productive and, and, and cohesive teams that are culturally aligned so it'll be more productive, okay, well, your top two dream job types are perfect. Right, right. You could easily spend 80% of your day doing all that, right? Yeah, yeah. Right, so that, that's... That's what you do. You look for you look for the job role where you can layer your top dream job types, and and avoid doing, um, it, it, avoid ones that may look like they fit, but in fact it involve doing too many of the things that aren't your your dream job type. Yeah, that's how you do it. Yeah, and and I love the word that you used earlier, investigate, and and I think that's what we don't do enough of. And and really, we're we're not talking about the elephant in the room element, and that is money. <laughs> and and we, we have to have money to pay the bills, to provide, et cetera. And so there are moments in life that you really just have to kind of settle potentially and move forward. But I love your word investigate, because if you can remove the 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 motivator of just having to provide for yourself and potentially your family. And just sit back and go, but no, where do I feel most alive? What aligns with me? Because I have found, and you can tell me if this is a truth you've seen as well, 
when you put yourself in a culture, a scenario, and, and align yourself with an organization that makes you come alive, the money usually takes care of itself, more so than we could have ever managed before. It, and, well, it makes sense when you think about it, right? Like even, even, even some of the people, like some of the fears that we deal with, right? When we're, we're helping people do a transition from a job that they're, you know, feel stuck in stress into one that makes them feel passionate and purpose driven. Some of the fear is like, but I might have to take a bit of a step back right. in my salary, in my seniority, because, you know, I spent all these years working up the ladder and, and now I got to take a few steps back. But the reality is it takes way less time to move forward in the new job because now you're passionate about that job. And you tend to do a way better job when you're passionate about your job. And so you tend to move you know, ahead faster than you did in your original career path. And you compensate for that, right? And, and then and then depends on the kind of job you get into. If you get into a job where there's bonuses involved and, and things like that, then then you know it's it's so easy to to earn the bonus, right? It's so easy to to earn a promotion. Okay. And then there's so many opportunities where people, you know, people get to a certain age, you're saying, well, you know what, maybe another corporate job isn't what you should do. Why not start your own business? Right. 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 Okay. Yeah. And then, and this is how you structure it when you start your own business to make sure that 80% of the stuff you do is stuff you love doing and you yeah. get everybody else, you spend 20% of your time supervising everybody else to do what they love to do. Yeah. I love that. You know, I thought I had Ken as I was both taking the assessment and reviewing my results is, and, and in the book, you have a whole chapter on transition. And so we, we don't necessarily have the time to get into that today because that is a real issue, but we may come back to that at some point. But the thought I had was, this is also really powerful for someone finding a hobby. Oh, so yeah. if, if someone is in a job that it's just not working and maybe the transition is going to take some time and maybe, you know, there's those moments in life, you just kind of need that breath of fresh air this would be an amazing assessment to take to go, okay, I know I have this job. That's the reality. It doesn't quite match what I'm doing, but if I could look into my community and find a hobby to plug into, this would be really, really powerful for that. It, it, it's, it's funny you say that because this whole thing started, it, it started as life passion discovery. Yeah. Okay. And there wasn't 21 dream job types. There were 32 life passion types because the, a lot of the other ones that are left out here are things that would clearly define hobbies, right? Right, right. right? And, and, you know, there's some people that like to collect things, for example, right? Well, you know, that's, that's, a, you know, that's, that's a hobby kind of, of thing. It doesn't necessarily fit so well as a dream job thing. But no, you're absolutely right, though. There are um, people, people that are they're going into retirement and not sure what they're going to do. I mean, they, trust me, you know, you... You can try playing golf for six months, and but but sooner or later, you're, that that thing, the idea of waking up with a sense of purpose, right. doesn't happen, right? And you've spent your entire working career, you know, waking up hopefully to do something with a sense of purpose and, and a feeling of accomplishment, and that's not going to happen if all you're going to do is play golf for the next thirty years, right? So, right. and that's the other thing people have to they have to think about this now is that is that they could live to a hundred. I have I have an uncle. Touching wood here, he will be 100 years old this October, right? Okay, you know when he was 65 and you know he retired, he was thinking, oh, okay, well that's it, so it's all over in about maybe another year or two. No, I mean he's had all of this time. You've got 35 more years. Think of what you could do in 35 years. So so don't give up when you retire. This can really this this can really help you. You're going into retirement. You're not sure what you want to do. Um, this will help you pick something. And you're right. It can help you pick a, a hobby. Like one of the dream one of the dream job types, for example, is is competition. Well, you know any competitive sport or activity or video games or you know anything involving competition. I mean that 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 could be something you could do. Organizing and coordinating. Well, yeah, fine. Maybe you know you you organize vacations or or whatever like you know you, you go on a lot of vacations you organize them and you're gonna love doing the organizing of that right you you organize picnics you organize you know all kinds of things you know see what I mean like you you, you might end up just as a hobby just organizing local sports activities or something like that right so you're right you can you can take this that's the beauty of once you define a dream job type a job passion type okay that can also be applied to, to, to recreational activities, but the important thing is it can, it can easily be applied to, to another job. You can go from one career to another as long as you're, you're falling into the same dream job type, that job passion workflow, 
okay, where, which is a lot different than imagine you've, you've spent in the conventional way when you didn't have an assessment, you had to sit, you know, almost like cross-legged on the floor, burning incense, run up the mountain, talk to the monk, you know, figure out what your passion was. Right. One thing out of a thousand possibilities in the universe that could be your passion. And once you finally figured it out, if you wanted to change your passion, because, you know, all of a sudden, you know, your values change, right? If your values change, your passions right. aren't going to change if your values change, right? So you say, oh, my goodness. Now you got you to gotta go through that whole painful process all over again to pick one thing. But you don't have to do that. Once you know the theme, you can quickly change, right? Yeah. And because, and, and, you know, it's, well, I know all these things that would be consistent with that theme. It's easy to make a choice. Right. It's easy to move around. I love it. Ken, this has been very enlightening and empowering. And, I, and I'm uh, honored to have to have perused the book and taken the assessment and to, and to walk with you through it. So um, thank you for being on the show and for sharing your wisdom. And And I know your mission is to is to help a million people. I know that's that's your specific goal. And, um, you know, we want to do what we can to help you do that because because your content is incredible. Your resources are incredible. So thank you for coming on the show. Tell people how um, they can reach out to you and connect with you. Actually, um, you know, the book, like you say, Dream Job Discovery, um, yes. website is the same, dreamjobdiscovery.com. If you just go to dreamjobdiscovery.com, um, all the contact information is there, um, in, including all our social media contacts like LinkedIn, Facebook page, Instagram, all that stuff. Good. So uh, that's the best place. That's in, 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 and again, you can contact me through the website as well, um, just through the contact page. So listen, I, I want to thank you as well for, for this opportunity to, you know, to, to, to talk about this. And, 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 and I really do appreciate you helping me uh, on my mission to make the world a happier place for people to work. Yeah. We're doing it, man. We're doing it all in it together. That's what matters. So All right. Thank hey, you. Uh, make sure you go order Ken's book, Dream Job Discovery, and the assessment is mentioned in there in chapter three, and you'll be able to kind of follow that. So brothers and sisters, thank you for listening to the Mitch Gray Show. We ho hope you are inspired and equipped. Once again, we're out to uh, bring the art of leadership, bring, bring humanity back to the art of leadership. And, and I believe with folks like Ken, we're doing exactly that. So make sure you subscribe to the show and go leave us a review. We would love to... Uh, Love to have you review our show anywhere you listen to the show. It's, it's available everywhere, and that helps us kind of push push the work ahead. So we hope you have a great day, and we will talk to you soon. Ken, if you'll stay on the line, we'll close things out.